Hi, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Thriving Thoughts. I'm your host, Dr. Sherry. When I first started this podcast, I didn't know it then, but I knew it in my heart that I promised to bring to you everyday women, and now men, (laughs) like you and me, who are making a difference in our own Today, I'm super excited to bring to you a new friend of mine. Her name is Luann Nuss, and Luann is serving her fellow man and woman by serving on the front lines of a suicide prevention hotline in New South Wales, Australia. What's really special about this episode is that it is the perfect segue to the theme for season four, which is alone and thriving. I love Luann's bravery and her admitted giving in to her granddaughter's nudging to live bold and fearlessly as she always convinced her to do and to step out of her comfort zone and just let you in a little bit to her world. What's beautiful about Luann's story is not just the work that she does, but the backstory leading up to it. You know, we always say everybody's got a story be kind, right? You don't know what people's story is. Well, I've been privy and now you are as well. To Luann's backstory, to what makes her heart so magnanimously compassionate and what's made her fall accidentally on purpose into the service of humanity. But before we jump into the conversation with Luann, I'm excited to announce that I have opened up podcast episode partnerships. And today I'm super excited to feature today's podcast episode partner, Michelle Kuzmik, owner of The Priority Project. I have had the pleasure of getting to know Michelle, and I can tell you this, friends. She has my unwavering endorsement. One thing I'm super excited is that Michelle, you're going to be able to hear some of her story. She is going to be on the show in episode four come January. But I wanted to draw your attention to something that I think is particularly relevant, both to today's episode and to the fact that we're about to enter into a new year, 2021. I've got to tell you, I started using Michelle's Vision Planner recently And it's really been a game changer for me. I love how simple she makes it. You know, when you think about the word vision, you think this grand, big thing. But Michelle has a gift at helping you with simple step-by-step questions, dream exercises, brainstorming exercise, all beautifully laid out, I might add, in her vision planner. So if you're the type of woman who has looked for a word of the year, who really wants to solidify her vision, who wants to leave 2020 behind and enter into 2021 with gusto, in fact, Michelle says this, you've waited your whole life to live your dream. Get started making it a priority. I'll be sharing with you a little bit more at the end about Michelle Kuzmik's Priority Project Vision Planner. But if you want to learn more right now, before we dive into the episode, All you need to do is text keyword vision, V-I-S-I-O-N, to 540-369-2139, and you'll get a link to her special offer of $20 off your vision planner for 2021. 
What are you waiting for, friends? I'm using it. It's fantastic. I'd love for you to use it too and let me know how it works for you. And you can learn more about Michelle at michellekuzmik.com. And all of the links are in the show notes. Again, just text VISION to 540-369-2139. Now, back to the episode at hand. And I've got to add a disclaimer, my friends. Today, we talk about loneliness. And we talk about some of the darker spaces of loneliness, places where people are bordering on hopelessness. This episode is heavy with traumatic life experience references. So please use your judgment if your children are listening along with you. And if you're lonely or bordering on hopelessness yourself, maybe even thinking about what your vision, your future vision is for your life, I know you're going to love this conversation. Please lean in and listen to my dear friend, Luann Nuss. Can I ask you, what are you not just getting through, but what are you thriving in the thick of right now? Okay, so what am I getting through? Well, getting through. No, not what are you getting through? What are you thriving, thriving through? Um, what am I thriving through? Probably one of the the biggest things is it's going to sound corny, but I've gone back to I've gone back to working out. I've gone back. Oh, to, yes. Sounds it sounds you know, like nothing but um, so had you taken a break from working out? I, or? Think, I think I did for quite a while. My husband was sick for quite a while and I tried doing it. Um, and that with work, with there was big commitments. I just slid it back. And, yeah. and at some point I thought, I'm not looking after myself. So mm. I went back to a trainer, um, a really, really, really great guy, Graham Johnson. and Just recently? It's probably been in the last three weeks. Oh yeah. wow! So so like legit, like you are just getting back into this, right okay? Into it. Yeah. So went back and started training, and he said, "What's been happening?" And I said, <clears throat> "Work's been busy. Work has been mm. um, incredibly just by the nature of it. It's been yeah. busy, and you wind up on this on um, this cycle. You kind of fall into it where you." You go to bed, you wind down, you go to bed, you get up, you do chores around the house, you do little bits and pieces. But the but the main components of mm-hmm. what you're telling other people to do, you're not doing yourself. Then you, you know, you're back in at mm. work, right? So I, yeah. stepped, I stepped back in it and I got on the bike and I thought I was on the bike for 30 seconds and I thought, oh my God, this is going to kill me. You know, <laughs> Please tell me the next 30 seconds are going to get better. Cause right, right. This is going to end. This is coming to an end, this right? This is coming to an end. And he said, you've got four more minutes to go. And I thought, what was I thinking coming back here? Mm. So we just progressed. And I felt that my spirit was lifting, mm. um, that my I was feeling stronger. I was sleeping better. All the yeah. things that I say to other people, I was incorporating again myself because we do forget. We, we do. So, yeah, but let's, let's, I, I want to get to, you know, what you do for a living. You've uh, alluded to that a couple of times and how this relates to what you're talking about, about uh, working out and taking care of yourself. How do you think you, you got out of it? Because I, I think for most of us, it's usually just an issue of, Something new interrupt, not just, but something new interrupts our lives, interrupts our daily routine. And I think you mentioned your husband was sick. 
Mm. Yeah. 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 He, he, um, he was diagnosed with a very aggressive cancer and that was six years ago. Oh my. So, um, in a, in one week he was in hospital operation. Um, and then we went on to, to live our lives and he was given the clear, not quite three years later. Mm-hmm. And it was like three months after that, three years, he was just doing the routine blood test and they said, it's back. Oh. And, but they didn't know where it was because it was so small, it came up in the blood work. Okay. So they had to wait almost for the cancer to grow to go and find it. Then when they found it, then we um, embarked, I say we, he, on, it was almost 20 courses of radiation. So mm. it's your, your, your world, it just takes yeah. a different meaning. Well, and when you're going through something like that, uh, yeah. it's doctor appointment after doctor appointment after doctor appointment. And yeah, the route, the routine certainly is no That's longer right. routine. No, yeah. it isn't. It is, you know, when they, when they say the new normal, that was the new normal. So mm. we did, um, we did get through that. And then, and with radiation, it's, it takes a long time, it seems, for the body to, to get strong again, to heal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a year later, um, he was looking at his foot and he said, um, babe, my, my, my foot's blue. But no, blue, purple, like the color of your, your cup there. And so off to the hospital we went. Um, they did a scan. They said there is a clot but they think it's sitting behind um, the mesh that holds the hernia because he'd had a hernia operation okay. after the cancer um, operation. So they said, it's going to be a little bit icky. We're going to have to get in there. So they put him on blood thinners. The next morning he went into the, o- the OR and afterwards this um, doctor came out to speak to me and said, it wasn't in that mesh. What had happened was, the radiation where the radiation was coming in through his body, it had destroyed um, a major artery in his leg. Oh my goodness. So that was just completely rubbished. So they had to go in and then they put a bovine sleeve in there and then they okay. fixed another artery and that was it. So that was um, just over a year ago. So in that. So time- has your husband been declared cancer free? He is now cancer free and he's got a good cow sleeve to help him pump that blood. (laughs) I love that. A cow sleeve. Now, what do they make that from? Do you know? No. What part of the cow? I don't know, but we should find out, shouldn't we? We should. Yeah. Yeah. Give it a little name, you know? So, (laughs) so yeah. So it's super easy. And, you know, to, I I, I guess I want to ask you, was, are you the type of person um, that it's easy for you to extend some grace to yourself when you get out of the routine of something like that? Or are you tough on yourself? I think I'm probably, um, yeah, if I'm going to be honest, I can probably be a little bit tough on myself. Mm -hmm. Well, and the reason I asked that Luann is because I think most of us are. Yeah. Most of us are, I mean, we, it's like, it's not just, 
oh, I'm out of the routine. I've got, you know, I, I'm distracted. It's yeah. a characterological flaw somehow. Yes. yes. <laughs> and, and I'm trying to warm up to that. <laughs> that flaw. It's just not coming. Right, right. Yeah. So you're you're getting back into working out and we're going to get to what you do at work in a moment but you said this is, you know, what you tell people yeah. at work to do all of the time. What are the benefits that you're seeing just from making this a priority in your life again? Oh. Because you make yourself a priority. Mhm. You make just in what you said. You make yourself the priority. And mm-hmm. there and it sounds, um, it's not that it sounds selfish, but we, as carers, we are so used to giving. We're so used to the energy mm. coming out of us. Oh, and, yeah. And going to other places. And we do that naturally. And mm-hmm. whether that is, that is a wonderful flaw to have, but you have to pay attention that you, you have to look after yourself. So, um, I had to become a priority. I had Mm -hmm. to become the priority because I realized at the very young age of 64, there's still Mm -hmm. things that I want to achieve for myself. And and it's okay to help other people push their balls, so to speak, or themselves forward. You've also have to do it for yourself. You have to. Yeah. So can you tell us what some of those things are that you want to, do um probably well doing this was one of them and i think i told you the last time my granddaughter fronted me and said grandma you tell me to go and live my life yes. to go for it but you're sitting yes. there not oh. no being scared how can i go do it when you yourself aren't and i just thought i really don't like you granddaughter ah! I don't like what you've learned from me. Don't like it one uh, little bit. Yeah. That's that's fantastic. Yeah. But yeah, I think you're absolutely right. We you know, we are intended to yeah. give our energy to other people. Yeah. And yeah. That energy well has to be replenished. It absolutely. doesn't Absolutely. Right? It 100%. gets depleted. Yep. Yeah. So it's good to learn that about yourself and to know that it's not a bad thing. I think, you know, so many women do, they feel guilty. They feel um, like they're not supposed to put themselves, they're not supposed to take time for themselves, that they're supposed to be everything to everyone all of the time. Yeah. And that's just a recipe for disaster. So you tell your people that you work with that it's important for them to make themselves a priority. Yes. I th- Tell know, us what you do, Luann. What I do for a living? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I work in um, suicide prevention. Mm-hmm. So I work on a crisis, um, a crisis line in suicide prevention. So um, you are on the front lines. Yeah, yeah. I work in different teams. I'm on the phone, um, and I work with a, a wonderful, wonderful group of people. Um, all all different people, all different backgrounds, all different professions. Um, They all have their own style. So Mm -hmm. it's a really, it's a really unique place to work. I'm very, how long have you been doing this for? um, I've been doing this for seven years. So, Oh my goodness. Yeah. 
Now, I would imagine that that might that it would have the potential um, to be physically, emotionally, mentally taxing mm-hmm. to the to the point of of burnout. Very often, mm-hmm. those helping fields are identified as as burnout fields. Um, how do you, I guess working out is probably one of the ways that you keep yourself from do, from burning out. But let me back up before we even get to the burnout and the level of stress. And hopefully you can share with us some stories. I know you've got to respect the yes. uh, confident, confidentiality yes. and things like that. Absolutely. Um, what drew you to this work? Why suicide prevention? Um, I think I fell into it. I, I, geez, I don't know if you really fall into anything. You know, no, I don't think no. I, think <laughs> I had a friend who said Ac- everything happens accidentally on yeah. purpose. Yes, that's right. I accidentally right. on purpose. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. um, I, I've always been involved in in the helping field. Mm-hmm. So if I was, um, I won't take up too much of that time, and you can, you know, move me along. I used to work back in Toronto. I used to work for the Catholic Children's Aid. And Mm -hmm. I used to run a receiving and assessment facility for them. And that is something I kind of fell into. Um, Okay. Some friends were looking after children and, and I thought it was just a wonderful thing to do. I thought, Oh Mm -hmm. my goodness, you know, um, my husband and I have all these rooms. We just, it was just myself and him and my daughter. And Mm -hmm. I hadn't heard of it before. I hadn't heard of it. Mm -hmm. So I started back then. And then I went on to being accepted into um, into part of the organization, which was receiving an assessment. I, I became a frontline home for emergency for children who were had to be moved into care quickly. So they needed like a temporary placement. And it or... was emergency. So whatever the time of day or night, you would be called to accept a child coming in. So you'd have very little information. And it was up to you um, as a human being mm-hmm. to to hold them, to stabilize mm-hmm. them. So I went from that to working with teens. There was um, a group, um, again, with the agency, and it was receiving an assessment for teens. And teens would come in for a period of time, and you would be assessing them on a whole range of needs, and you'd be working with mm-hmm. Um, the psychologists, the social workers, you know, your own um, team leader, the schools, to getting a profile information mm-hmm. on the child and looking at where the next set, where the next placement would be. Okay. Mm-hmm. That would fit mm-hmm. the child. And the primary goal would be hopefully, if you could, return the child back home. Let the child mm-hmm. come back home and work with yeah. the family, actively work with the family to see if you can, you know, just soothe what was going on and give the family the support they need. Mm-hmm. So I did that for over 16 years. Then I think, wow. I yeah. So you're just like wired yeah, to serve, wired with compassion. Yeah. Did you see that in others growing up or is that something that is uniquely your gifting? I think, I think in our family, we've come to it naturally mm-hmm. so the back story is um my parents were were wonderful people but they had oof, they had um a lot on their plate so mm-hmm. my mother originated from london england came to toronto um as for an adventure but really because she did not want to marry an englishman 
<laughs> she came for an adventure, but because she didn't want to marry an Englishman. Yeah, so she, Why? What was wrong with Englishmen? No, she loved her brothers, but it was a big family. There was 10 of them. All right. And three of them were, were, were boys and they were the, the princes or no, they were the kings. So, okay. and my grandmother was a very, very strong woman and just ruled things with a bit of an iron fist. She had to, she had all those daughters and the three kings. So, <laughs> so my mother grew up through the war and thought, my God, I don't want to wait hand and foot. Um, uh, okay. So, on the king. On the king. Yeah. Right, so right. off she went to Toronto and met my father. So, and was he not a king? He was a king in our eyes, but he was a beautiful, <laughs> he was a beautiful, right. beautiful man. So, um, the woman who was the English Irish background m- married a man who was Italian Russian Jew. Okay. So, his parents, his mother fell in love with his father, and they had fled um, Kiev, which was Russia back then. So, uh-huh. in her life, to marry outside of the faith was just didn't happen. Right. So she was ostracized and she, her father said, you were as good as dead. So it was, it was very, very tough. So she would go and she would visit her mom and one of my aunts or uncles and my dad would look down the road to see if, you know, her father was coming up the the road from work. And if he was coming, you know, Wishka, she would be out the door with the kids. So Mm -hmm. then anyway, so they had my father and whole other brood of kids. And then my father met my mother. Hmm. So they embarked on their life, but um, they had some very difficult set of circumstances. I had a brother who had a fall when he was very little. He was a a twin, non-identical twins. And Uh he had a fall, hit his head, and he was severely brain damaged. So they kept him at home for a very long time. and in that time period, his, his twin, um, Tony, who was a little bit older um, by this time, ran out of the house chasing my older brother who was running off with his friends. And my brother, older brother, had um, the gate was left open. And my brother ran out and a car came around the corner and he was and hit him he would the man had been drinking and driving how old was your brother it was he was just before his fifth birthday oh my goodness so now this is the twin of the of the twin who was brain damaged yes so so they um by this time um they well they thought he could live they said the the car had gone over him and damaged one lung but he could live with one lung. Okay. So parents went home, but they didn't realize that his spleen was really damaged. Mm. So he passed away. So they had this. How old were you when this happened, Louis? I was about three. So you probably don't have a whole lot of memory about it, I don't guess. Well, I don't, I re- but I do remember him because oh. I, we were mates and he would, um, mm-hmm. do things. So I have a very clear memory of him, different things of him not wanting sure. to eat vegetables and sliding it on my plate, you know, just, <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's really interesting. So anyways, my, my, my mom had to be hosp- hospitalized out of exhaustion at some point. Mm. 
And that's when I can't, my, I can't, I cannot imagine. No, that's and a lot of trauma for one a, mom. It is a lot of trauma. So mm-hmm. then my dad made the very difficult decision to put my brother, Paul, who is, um, who is, um, intellectually impaired mm-hmm. in an institution. Okay. So it was mm-hmm. very, very tough. So then down the road we go and the, and now we're looking at the court case for the man who had hit Tony. Okay. But he had disappeared. And mm. the the judge at that point said case dismissed because they didn't have him. They didn't hold then and they didn't do breathalyzers. So there was no case. So So my, this was this was in Canada in uh, around what time? It would have been 19 it would have been the late nineteen, the late nineteen fifties. Okay, yeah, late fifties. Okay, wow. So then, my mom said that in court, that she turned and looked at my father, and she said it was like everything came out of him. And at that point, he started going down the slippery slope hmm. of, um, of having a complete psychotic breakdown. So hmm. he became quite paranoid. He lost okay. his faith in the system. He mm. was exhausted. Mum had had a rest, as bizarre as it sound. She had had a rest by being in hospital. So he, when, when she was unwell, so mm. she had been rested, she had been cared for, and dad just mm. kept going, right? Sure, yeah. So when that happened, he slipped. He slipped emotionally. And mm. he, he slipped in a very, very, very big way. So back then... He was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. That's where he went. He was about 35. Now, Uh being a practitioner, you know that those signs normally come, Mm -hmm. you know, late teens, early 20s. Right, earlier. Mm -hmm. Yep. So for him, it was different. Now, when my mom passed away about five years ago, we were talking to the the doctor of her residence, and we were talking about my dad, and he didn't know. And he said, you know, I would suspect that today he probably would have been diagnosed with really complex PTSD. Right. And and it made sense. We just thought, Mm -hmm. wow. So we grew up looking after my dad. My dad was a Mm -hmm. very bright man. He was a very gentle man, but he was given to um, the voices in his head. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. And we just, we just cared for him. There was times that he may have gone missing and he would be gone for a few days and come back. We didn't know. But he was, he was, you know, Sherry, he was, I was very lucky. I was very lucky for who they were as parents. Yeah. We, we were raised without prejudice at mm-hmm. all for another mm-hmm. human being. We were raised to have respect for other people, to mm-hmm. care. So going back to that question that you asked me, yeah. I know it's a big answer. No, it's that, wonderful. Yeah. That is, that is how I probably came about doing what I did. Now, my mom went back to school and she wound up working as a food supervisor in seniors' homes. My dad was a very good salesman and had his own business. Mm-hmm. Okay. So when he was on medication, he was fine and the medication was oral and then it moved to a once a month and okay. everybody loved Joe. Everybody loved Joe mm-hmm. because he was just a lovely man, you know, but they had between them had 
um, terrible losses. So, yeah. Well, this, this really hits on a a point that um, uh, resonates with me. And that is that uh, when we look at mental health stuff, um, I think, although well-meaning, well-intended, I think, unfortunately, what's happened is we've decided to look at responses to trauma as abnormal. Yeah. And what if those responses are not abnormal? What if that is what happens, right? Like this is, this is my natural human response to whatever trauma I've gone through. And, um, everybody responds to trauma differently. That's right. That's right. So I, I just, um, I guess my question for you would be, has that philosophy played a role with you having been so intimately connected to the situation with your mom and your dad and, and watching that, watching people you love go through this and really having this compassion, this empathy, this understanding of, Oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. This is what happened. Mm -hmm. This is what happened to them, to him to her. So the mm-hmm. life that they decide that they started out with, that they thought what their life was going to be, just didn't yeah. be. Now having said that, they were they were strong. My mom was strong. Oh my God. She was strong. She yeah. was my dad was the pussycat. My mom was the lioness. Well he wasn't an Englishman after all. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Mad dogs and Englishmen. There you go. So, <laughs> so yes, I I forgot the the question. Oh, but it, no. You know, <laughs> no, you were just saying yes that I watched them. This is the way yeah. they were, and so so it's it's a very relevant backstory. And the fact that you had that kind of front row seat yeah. to um, understand and relate to somebody going through significant emotional challenges now yeah. makes sense that you did not fall into suicide prevention work, yeah. but that yeah. you have a natural bent for compassion and understanding and that this is a really good fit for you. So it's accidentally yeah. on purpose, as it were. Accidentally on purpose. And I think that all of us, um, when I, when I remember working with the kids when the kids would come in, and you'd have a 14-year-old, a 15-year-old, or 13, or 16. And and they're placed in a new environment, an unknown environment. Um, and you know that the one thing that you have to create for them while they're, while they're feeling a trauma mm-hmm. at that point is to stabilize. Yeah, it's yeah. It's to quiet and stabilize. And you're not going to see that in them for maybe a week or two, whatever. So yes, it all it all led. And when I did work with um, the courts and people giving evidence, um, if they were victims of crime, they were victims of crime. To remembering mm-hmm. who, remembering who you are, mm-hmm. remember who you are. Can you find it? Can you connect with it? I I think we all have that little voice, that little quiet voice that just gets lost. And if you can mm-hmm. help somebody find it, just give mm-hmm. them the space, give them the ear, 
um, mm-hmm. give them the platform. It's, it isn't rocket science. It yeah. isn't. One of my, um, it may relate or may not relate, but one of my favorite sayings is by Mark, Mark Twain. Mm-hmm. And it sits on my fridge and it says to humanity. And it says, um, and, he's, and he said, remember, kindness is the language which the deaf can hear and the blind can see. Mm. Mm. And if we can just think, okay. yeah, and I, and I love it. And, I, and we're not kind enough. And on the phones, you have to be kind and you have yeah. to be strong and you have to um, be, be patient. Able, you have to be patient. Mm-hmm. You have to be all of those things because you, you don't know. It, the call may be, um, I've just had a, a fight with my husband and I just need to vent. Um, mm-hmm. Or it may right, go right to that call. And yeah. then you're bringing out a whole other, uh, not different set of skills, same skills, but you're, you're really, everything everything is so finely tuned. Your yeah. ears are finely tuned, that sense that you're really mm-hmm. listening. Yeah. Yeah. So can you share with us what a day or a night? I think that um, probably I I would guess is when the most call volume is found is in the evening hours, but I could be wrong about that. But yeah. give us a picture. What does it look like to work in suicide prevention and, you know, what's a day in the life of Luann in, in the Suicide Prevention Hotline? And do you feel like that's, um, you're in Australia, so do you feel like that's different in Australia than it looks in other places? Or do you feel like this is um, very similar work to what people are doing across the globe? I think probably very similar. I think um, whatever their training is, is probably, uh, there's probably a very similar format. Um when you, when you, right now, everything is COVID. So when I go to work, I sign in, um, my temperature is taken. I mm. can, I sit down in my, in my area. And so they, you're still actually going to a physical structure. You're yeah. not, I mean, because I would think that, um, call, call center work could be done remotely. Yes. Yes. And it okay. is going that way. I think that they're doing a lot of it in America, in America that way. Yeah. And yeah. we've got a tech service now and that okay. gets done remotely. Um, mm-hmm. The calls are still being done and it'll, and that will change. That'll probably change mm-hmm. down the road if they're talking about it. So that will, you know, try and grow that way. Um, so your, your screen is in front of you. You've got an operating system that comes up. You log in with your, your details, and then you go to ready. And as soon as you go to ready, you've got um, a screen where the information comes in about a call Mm -hmm. and different information that you can add to it. And then there is another screen that you can also log into as far as the statistics, which I rarely look at. It'll be, you know, how many operators are on, how many. um, Okay aren't calls. Blah, blah, calls coming in, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So then you go to ready and, and a call comes in. It will tell you what area of the country you're speaking to somebody from. Okay. You know, whether it's a Perth or Adelaide or Tasmania or, you know, mm-hmm. Darwin or wherever, mm-hmm. it'll give you that area. And then the call comes in and you greet now, the what caller. It- yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Okay. I don't mean to interrupt your flow. Yeah. Go ahead. No, it's you greet the caller. You, you know, mm-hmm. you say, you know, um, 
hello, lifeline, how may we help mm-hmm. you? Mm-hmm. And it goes from there, you know, and then do, hmm? do people tend to like immediately spill, spew like a volcano or is there some that you kind of have to yeah. draw out? Struggling. Yeah. Some will, the ones that, um, that may just want to do event or, or sometimes, and they'll be very upfront. I'm lonely. Mm. I'm lonely. I just want to talk, you know, that in itself, you just, okay. You know, and those calls to me are very, very important. They're all important. Yes. Yes. But those calls are, all right, tell me, tell me a little bit about you. Tell me about your day. So Mm -hmm. for me, I'm looking for a thread that I can have a bigger conversation Mm -hmm. about them to connect with them so they don't feel so lonely so they can have a conversation yeah and it could be you know about like the man who i was talking to from wherever and Mm -hmm. was complaining about the new the v8 race that's going to happen in bathurst and they're going to be bringing in you know mustangs and camaros and what about our our local calls but he was very lonely but mm. racing is very important. So we talk about that. You know, it's it sounds nothing, but for him it's important. No, it's it's not. And I uh I'll tell you there's a lot of misconceptions and maybe you can share uh some of those with us from your expertise, Luann, but there are a lot of misconceptions about uh suicidal ideation and um the way people go about telling people and one of the things that I think is very often dismissed is when people describe somebody's suicidal ideation or intimation of anything, you know, passively suicidal even, and they dismiss it as attention seeking. And so I love what you just said about people being lonely and how important that is because what I say to those people is, right. So what if it's attention seeking? That's not a bad thing. It's, hey, I I feel invisible. Hey, I need someone to see me. Hey, will someone love me? Like, that's what I hear. That's right. Will someone hear me? Will someone acknowledge me? Yes. Notice me. Yes. Listen to me. Regard me. Mm -hmm. Help me. Yes. Help me. I love that word. Just regard me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this is, this is so, um, so powerful, uh, Luann, and I'm getting a little teary because I think, I think right now, especially, I actually, I think it's just highlighted now. I don't think it's more, uh, I don't think it's more frequent or more prominent. I think it's just, we're more aware of, of people's level of solitude, of loneliness. Oh, and uh, so we're much more attuned to that. And so actually, um, this, the theme for season four of my podcast, which launches in January, is um, Alone and Thriving. Oh. And so it's really going to, yeah, I've just, wow. it's just been that is on my heart so much that oh. there are people who are, they feel alone. Yeah. They could be surrounded by people physically, yes. Yes. but feel alone. Or they could be not surrounded by people and feel alone. Feel alone. Yeah. And so, um just shedding some more light on that and talking about how 
how okay that is, how human that is. Like we are designed, we're wired for connection. We're wired for this. We are wired for connection. We are social beings. Mm -hmm. And that's where um, we we forget. We forget, especially with COVID happening right now. And you guys, you guys are going through a tough time. We're we're coming out of it, but but regardless, COVID not, but COVID does add that extra layer, you know, where you may have had um, your connection to go down and get your dry cleaning or to get groceries where you would have that little bits and pieces conversation. How are you going, Frank? How are you going, Betty? How are the kids? Mm -hmm. Whatever. Nothing. That may seem nothing, but to that person, it's that's a little bit of something. That's their little bit of connection to to the outside world because they may retreat back to their world totally alone. Okay. Yeah. But they look forward. There's, you know, just talking about with suicide prevention, hope factors, a a very simple hope factor is I get to see such and such tomorrow. That's right. That's right. Right. You know, I get to walk past my neighbor. I get to wave. I get to do whatever. Mm -hmm. Then you remove that. Mm -hmm. And that little bit of hope they had seems to diminish. Mm -hmm. So if they call up a line and they have a conversation and they say to me, I am lonely. Mm-hmm. To me, for me, that is a big red flag. That yeah. is so good. Can we, yeah. I just want to dive into that really quickly. So loneliness, and I, I mean, I want people to hear this. I want the people listening to understand that loneliness and and suicidal ideation and suicide, that that is a a very tightly bound yes cord yes and so braided so if somebody what's that braided, braided yeah yes so if somebody in your life of you know a friend a passerby or somebody says they're lonely yeah like that is not a, a, to me like resist resist the lie that says they're just looking for attention yeah. and say, yes, they are looking for attention. And how can I give them? That's some? right. That's right. Give yeah. them, that's right. Give them five minutes. The cup of yeah. cup. Like we are all, we're all busy, but when yeah. you extend yourself that much more, the rewards you get back are huge because yeah. you're doing something. Ugh, you're doing something for your fellow man. And when I say mm-hmm. man, man, woman, whatever, right, right, you're, yeah. you're doing something for them, and and it is if and it isn't attention seeking. And I agree with you. You know, mm-hmm. it it is such a, um, oh, a, it is actually not a very nice statement when people say that. Their attention. It's a judgment. It is an absolute judgment. You know, it's a judgment as if you're deficient in some way, yeah. uh, you're needy in some way. And what I love is somebody who's brave enough yeah, to Our, say I'm lonely, Our, somebody yeah. who's brave enough to call a lifeline and say, yes. I'm lonely. I'm lonely. Yeah. I'm like lonely. that to me, that's brave. That's yeah. not needy. And no. that's not attention seeking. No, it isn't. Yeah. And when they, and when they say, sometimes it can be, I apologize for that. Um, it can be after a second or two or whatever, and I'll you know I'll say everything is everything right. 
You all right? Because you can hear it and they say, I'm lonely. I say, okay. You know, let's talk. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's just talk. Sorry. Yeah. No, it's okay. Don't worry yeah. about that. Yeah. Um, we are not gonna be bothered by little noises. This is a this is a great conversation and I am not swayed by the simple stuff, let me yeah. tell you. So so let me ask you this. Let's let's give a little you're you're like a hope dealer, essentially. You're an ear, you're an ear for people. So let's 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 be an ear for people who are listening because sometimes there is um I would imagine um there is doubt, there is shame, like I don't know. Like I'm not yes. suicidal, but like yeah. I like that hotline sounds like a good number for me to call. What would you say to somebody who's, you know, maybe thought about utilizing a service or a resource like oh. that, but they're kind of on the fence. What would you say to them? Oh, call. Call. Why? 100%. Because it gives you space, it gives you a platform, it gives you a room to enter. Mm -hmm. Just like we have mm. our, our little room right now where yeah. we're talking. It gives them a, a room to go and talk, to be safe, to be heard. Um, when somebody's talking to me, they say, there's no judgment here. Yeah. Instead of having a drink, that's okay. You yeah. know, um, whatever you're doing to cope, let's just put that aside and let's, and let's just talk. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely call. Because yeah. it can be the gateway to maybe doing other things for yourself. Yeah, right, mm -hmm. right. So yeah. just the very act of reaching out and yeah. being brave enough is yes. doing something for yourself. It's doing something for yourself. You can so that. now let me ask you this, Luann. Mm -hmm. Do you have, um, does your work often require you to be in touch with emergency services? Well, what happens there? Is that let's say I'm on that call, you mm -hmm. know, it is an, an active call. And but, can you, what does that mean? What does that well, mean? If, an active somebody, call? if somebody is saying to me that they are suicidal mm -hmm. and you're, you're hoping to turn them that, mm -hmm. you know, for them to have, because at that point they, they may not have a sense of control. Okay. So you're hope you're trying to work with them for them to gain a sense of control, a sense of hope, a sense mm -hmm. of future. But if they are resistant and they're mm -hmm. saying, no, um, this is what I'm going to do. Um, this is what I've taken. This is, you know, whatever. Sure. Um, then you are saying to them that you, we have a duty of care. Yeah. And right. then you have to action it on to the next stage. So at that stage, I will then, um, get in touch with my supervisor. My supervisor will then come and sit. I will stay with the call. The call doesn't get transferred over. You're still with that individual. And if, if it is progressing to that point where you have to intervene, that's when emergency services are notified okay. and everything happens from there. So one thing that just struck me in what you said so here in the in the states it's referred to as a duty to report. Yeah. And I just love that you just referred to it as a duty to care. Yeah. There are two yeah. very different implications there. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We have a duty of care. Yeah. <laughs> right. I love that. I love that. Yeah. So and and so here's 
this is interesting too. So uh, one of the reasons that I asked about the crossover between, you know, emergency or law enforcement or anything like that, do you get crossover of people? Um, Cause you're a little bit like nine one one here in the States. I don't mm-hmm. know what that's called in Australia. Triple zero. What is the triple zero? Okay. I, I wish we could just have one number across. I know. The globe. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Calling number five. You know. <laughs> right. Yeah. So do you, is there a crossover where you guys ever, or uh, where um, you guys do any like uh, cross training together where there's communication between emergency law enforcement and, and what you guys do or like, where this person is calling triple zero, but they really should be calling you or do you know what I mean? Oh, I I understand. Um, Yes. If somebody um, called triple zero now, if their, if their life was at risk, then they've called the right number, you know, um, absolutely. But Mm -hmm. if they let, if they phone and they, and it happens, you know, they can say I'm, I'm sad or I'm depressed. Then triple zero will say, call lifeline you know Mm -hmm. and can give them the number so those things Mm -hmm. do happen and as far as training um we have some we have really good training i have to say that and we've got an accredited um accreditation program that we have to comply you know we Mm -hmm. have to have so much supervision so much um, professional development training and it it gets marked down in our hours are marked down you know that you haven't had enough supervision and if you don't comply with that, you don't go on the phones. It's very, very simple. Right, right. Okay. But as far as other training, we've had um, um, law enforcement come in that may be part of the domestic violence unit or okay. whatever, all of those things, you know, all of the different yeah. um, parts of different agencies come and do training with us. So we're very, very fortunate that way. I don't yeah. know if that, did that answer it. Yeah. No, perfect. Have you seen any new challenges for yourself um, in the work that you do over the last seven months with this global pandemic? Yeah, it's it's been, um, we opened up a COVID line. Okay. All right. So it's still with COVID shifts, um, but they would still be a crossover into, Mm -hmm. um, we had the bushfire shifts too. We had that with the bushfire line at the beginning of the year mm-hmm. and then it, then it morphed into sure. the COVID, right? Yeah. It has been, there was a day in, um, I think it was September. Now, given that our populations are very, very different and I actually worked that night and I remember thinking, oh my God, there wasn't, and you would hang up a call, another one would come in right away. Wow. It, and that night, I think it marked the most, there was you know, I think there was over 3,400 calls that came in. Mm-hmm. So different, again, a different population from yours. Sure. It, but it hasn't stopped. When when the state of Victoria was locked down, we had a lot of calls from there where people were anxious. They had lost mm-hmm. their jobs. They had lost their sense of community, yeah. sense of well-being, yeah. you know, trying to find their way forward, um, not knowing what forward was going to look like. Mm-hmm. when it all finished and just that anxiety that happens when we worry about future yes how it ramps up and how yep. you try to bring people back to the here and now to the present back to now 
yeah. So it it's been it's been very 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 busy. No doubt the same mm-hmm. as it would be in your country or anywhere yeah. else in the world. You know. Yeah. What are you uh, learning about yourself right now in this season of your life? Um. Oh. Man. Um, compassion is a really big, we have to have compassion Mm -hmm. for other people and ourselves Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. and not, and be gentle with ourselves, you know, be caring, be, you know, I said, be kind, be kind to other people, be kind to yourself, you know, um, we do things for other people. We, but just turn that to ourselves and, and you learn about it more and more with this pandemic hitting the world mm-hmm. has been turned on its head. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and it's remembering um, that all those tough times that I talked about with my, with my parents and with my husband going through what he had to go through. You, you look at different times, you think, well, dude, that was a tough time. This is a tough time. I gathered mm-hmm. strength from that. Yeah, yeah. Let me apply it here. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. humanity is going to become COVID tired. You know, it's like mm-hmm. we get compassion fatigue. Yeah. You've probably heard it, you know, COVID yeah. fatigue. Yeah. You know. Well, and I think that's why we're, you know, seeing one of the reasons why we're seeing um, some renewed spikes. Um, yeah is because people are sick and tired of it yeah. and I want to go see my people and yeah. that's what I'm going to do. I, yeah. I'm lonely. Yeah, that's right. You right. know, and, and that just, that happens. So what have I learned? I've learned, uh, to how to um, lay down a new layer of resilience for myself in this mm-hmm. time, how to look after myself, mm-hmm. you know, Going yeah. to the gym, you know, uh, yeah. the rope that hangs from the ceiling of the gym. I want to climb it. Uh, good for you. I must I've never like had that desire. No. Well, you know, I used to climb trees. You know, when you were a kid and you climbed all the trees, and I you- never climbed a tree. I was too scared. Oh, yeah, I was a pansy. No, mm-hmm. you go climb a tree. <laughs> no, I can't. Listen, I seriously like me and like I like oh. to have my feet on the ground. Oh, you see, we lived yeah. in we lived in the back of an orchard where the farmer, an apple orchard where the farmer would, would frequently chase us out. And yeah. um kids in the neighborhood would would be up there be climbing his trees. Terrible, terrible kids. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I don't even know how we got on the topic of climbing trees. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, that no, was, I, the resilience. Yeah. I oh the resilience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Dust yourself off and get back up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I have a couple more questions for you as we prepare to close out today, Luann. Okay. And one of those is if you'd be able to share with us, uh, what was one of the best moments you've had working on the suicide prevention hotline and what's one of the worst? The best, probably there's so many that are the best, Mm -hmm. you know, it could be that conversation with somebody that's really, it could be an elderly person that phones. It's really lonely. And, and they may be thinking about ending their life. Probably one of the best was a very difficult call. And it was a, it was a young person and I, and I can't divulge too much just out of respect and confidentiality. 
but we never, we normally never get a result. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And so you don't really know what happens next. No, right. you know, you okay. turn it over to um, um, the next line, please, the emergency yeah. services. And this was a this was a very big call, and um, I was sitting with this young person for a long time, and and she was obviously she was either on drugs or was having a psychotic break because she was talking about things in a very mystical way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The cars were dragons, and it was all different things. And missed her mom and wanted to be with her mom, and mm-hmm. she was talking about an area, and so it was like really unpacking where she was and being a little bit of a detective. Yeah. And so then the emergency services, the police were looking for her and they got her um, just in time. But the call ended for me and I knew that she was heading off to the path where um, she was going to take her life. Mm. And there was enough information that was there that they got there and they called us back and they said, we got her. Oh, wow. But that doesn't always happen. That doesn't always happen. And yeah. and I remember taking my headset off and putting it down mm. and having to say to myself, okay, it has to be. It's This is your part is ended and you have to sit with it. Yeah. And yeah. then the phone rang not five minutes later after I finished doing up all my call notes and everything. And they said, um, we got her. And the supervisor and I just hugged one another. Mm-hmm. And it was in that mm-hmm. supervisor was a fairly new supervisor. Now I've been around a long time, so yeah. I really felt for her, but, um, but it was, and I remember that and thinking, wow. Yeah. Wow. So I, I really, this is um, just so timely. I could not have planned this myself yeah. if I tried. Um, I'm so uh, thankful to your niece for connecting us. Um, so random. I, just so the listeners know, this is like the most random story. So yeah. I'm, you know, launching a nonprofit, uh, which I haven't even talked about on the podcast, but I'm launching a nonprofit. So I'm working with a company in Paris yeah. and um, they are helping me with some of the uh, online software elements, right, of yeah. setting this all up. And the person that I've been working with, her name is Victoria and she so happens to be your niece and she she checked in with me and uh, she said hey Sherry just wanted to see how things are going you know with the nonprofit do you need do you need help do you have any questions she's so super sweet delightful and I said I'm good on the nonprofit front I said but I said, you know, I do have a podcast and I know you know people and I'm always looking to be introduced to people Mm. that would be a great you know, value add to the show. And she's like, my aunt Luann. And so just a powerful connection, you know, from here I am in Pennsylvania, United States to Paris, France, to Australia. It's incredible. Isn't it incredible? And what a small world we live in. Such a a small small world. world. But hey, Yes. So can you do us a favor? And um, I just want you to, I'm going to put you on the spot. So feel free to, you know, take some time to think about, but um, I want you to, this is the last episode that's going to air in season three. So your, your episode is going to air on December 6th. 
the last interview anyway. And then the very next season that launches in January is going to be Alone and Thriving. So um, this is a great segue uh, into season four. So I just wonder if you can uh, speak to somebody who's listening and is feeling alone. All right. Reach out. And, and to humanity, reach out to the people that you don't see. And I know that's hard. Mm-hmm. It's hard sometimes. But to the person that's alone, please don't lose hope. Mm. Please don't lose hope. In whatever way you connect, try. And for humanity, connect back. You yes. know, it is that little bit of interaction. It can be the smallest amount that can be absolutely massive. Never Mm -hmm. think that just having a moment for somebody isn't absolutely huge in their world. Yes. So, and just, and as I said, you know, be kind, be compassionate, but for the lonely, please, you know, never feel if they, if they need to call a line Mm -hmm. um, that it's wrong because they are lonely, because you are lonely, please Mm -hmm. reach out. Yes. And for the listeners who will be listening in Australia, how do they get in contact with your line? 13, 11, 14. 13, 11, 14. 14, yeah. All right. Perfect. Perfect. We're going to make sure we give a plug. So, um, and, and I'll be actually adding some, I'm going to try to find some for various countries on the day yeah. of and put, yeah. put all of those numbers in the show notes. I think that's really valuable. Luann, I want to thank you uh, for somebody who says she's shy and reserved um, right. just for your wealth yeah. of wisdom, for your compassion that yeah. um, you have taken advantage of this platform to share that with my listeners across the world. I know this will reach somebody who it needs to reach. Every episode does. I always hear reports sometimes. And like you said, sometimes I don't. But that doesn't give me doubt that this message reaches who it needs to reach. So thank you for taking the time to do this today. Yeah, I'm really blessed that I was able to meet you and talk to you. Thank you. Yeah. So, but you can't get out of this last question. Okay. And uh, it's a question I ask every guest on the show and you are no exception. If you could leave the listeners with one truth, what would that be? Oh, the truth. But, you know, we are, I, I, I believe the truth is that as a whole, we are, Generally, people are good people mm-hmm. and that we are trying our very best. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, to, and to remember that and yeah. not to be so hard on ourselves. Yeah. Not to be so hard on ourselves. Go, go easy. Go gently. Go lightly. What a soothing message from my new friend, Luann Nuss. Luann, thank you so much for sharing your heart today. And one of my favorite takeaways from today's conversation was how Luann said having a little moment for someone or yourself can be the catalyst that changes a life. Friends, if you are currently feeling lonely, lacking vision, bordering on hopelessness, maybe you just need somebody to talk to. Would you take up Luann on her offer? If you are in Australia just dial 13, 11, 14. And guess what, guys? This is so near and dear to my heart that I've included in the show notes a link that has every suicide hotline across the entire world. So please, friends, if you're in a space and you need somebody to have a moment for you, you don't have to be suicidal to use one of these hotlines to reach out to say, hey, I'm lonely. Do you have a moment? 
for me. A special thanks again to today's podcast episode partner, Michelle Kuzmik. Remember, listen, if you guys are interested in building a better vision for your future, if you're tired of waiting, if you're tired of making everything else a priority, but your dreams, now is the time to plan your vision. And I can think of no better person to do that with than my friend Michelle Guzmik and her vision planner. All you need to do to get $20 off of your vision planner through this exclusive partnership offer is to text the keyword vision, V-I-S-I-O-N, to 540-369-2139. Again, text vision to 540-369-2139 for $20 off of your vision planner. My friends, thanks so much for tuning in to the last interview of season three. Don't you go anywhere, my friends. You know, I'll be back with some more solo episodes in the month of December. And until then, I beseech you to speak truth over the lies.